0: The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to SWOutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. All right, amen. Let's uh, open our Bibles, men, to First uh, Peter in chapter 2, First uh, Peter chapter 2, and uh, <clears throat> we'll also be looking into Romans 12 for just uh, a few minutes in the middle of... Uh, the message, so that's the other text we'll look at. And we're going to talk about priests tonight. We're going to talk about what it means that we are priests. Peter says that we're priests. That's that's what he, um, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would write. So I want to read the first uh, 11 verses, 12 verses of 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. We won't be uh, unpacking this whole text. We don't have time to do that uh, sufficiently. And so we're going to look at this, this main idea of the priesthood of the believer, the priesthood of the believer. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, but it's the idea that, that, that the word of God calls us priests. It's important to understand what that means. This is the word of the Lord, 1 Peter chapter 2, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. You Put a finger there, we will actually come back to verse 1 in the conclusion, in the conclusion. which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Lord, we pray uh, that you would bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your word, that you would, you would give us ears to hear and hearts of surrender and a commitment and a will to go out and and, and respond in the way that you would have us to respond. I pray that everything that's said and done tonight would bring you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. When, when you uh, think about priests, um, I don't know what your idea is. Uh, I, I, think, um, I think that throughout history... Uh, it might be helpful the way that we start this off tonight in looking at the the idea of a priest. You see it there in verse five. You see it in verse nine. The idea of a priest or the priest of the believer. I think it might be helpful to understand priests through history. Uh, the first um, the first real picture that we see of priests in Scripture is the Old Testament priest. Now God would use. This role of priest that Spencer explained so well in the first part of his sermon this morning, uh, he'll use that. He'll, he'll, God would use that role to establish an actual office. This was a position that God would call men to hold. The priests of the Old Testament, the ones who did it right. Man, they, were, they were strong men who led the people and led the people well. They were men of character. They were men of integrity. They were men who had compassion towards people, but a fear of the Lord that, that would only put that compassion in the right context so that in their compassion, they would never compromise. True compassion has no compromise. We can't love somebody well by compromising what God's Word says about their life or your life or my life. And so true compassion motivates us to love and serve and care for people. And so I think that when when we think about the role of the Old Testament priest, it's important to understand that it looked a lot different probably than what we know of priests today. Uh, and so in the Old Testament, God raised up this group of men. Uh, a few things that might be helpful to understand about priests. Aaron was the first of what we would call the Levitical priests. Aaron was the brother to Moses. Now, before Aaron, there was this cat named Melchizedek. I don't know if you've ever heard of that guy. That's a fascinating story to read about Melchizedek. Fascinating story. We're going we're gonna to get into that tomorrow morning a little bit. Um, Rob's going to bring the word in the morning and then and and, and I'm excited about that, But, but the role of priest in Old Testament life, so priests as an idea didn't start with the Israelites. We know that there were pagan priests and priestesses that existed before Israel was established as a nation, um, un- under the leadership of Moses, but those Old Testament priests they would do things like they would make sacrifices for the people they would they would um, they would atone for the sin of the people through these um, sacrificial systems they would take the blood of an animal they would sprinkle the blood of that animal um, over the people i 'll tell you a funny story some of you probably heard this, but when i when I got saved i was I was nineteen years old, and I was searching man i 'd grown up in the uh, the independent fundamental for those of you that might might have familiarity with that background a lot just a, just a lot to wrap your head around as a kid growing up and and it and and i'd never surrendered my life to jesus and uh and i remember just being at that place you might if, if you came to faith when you were not a small kid you might remember this for maybe as a christian you had times like this in your adult life where man you're just you're you're looking for something that nothing you got is working you know what i'm saying like nothing's filling it up, you know what I mean? You got a God-sized void. I love it. Um, my wife, her nickname is Little, so that tells you what, what size a person she is, you know? And, and I love it because uh, at night she'll wear my T-shirt to bed, and I love it because it's just, to me, very, it's very endearing because my, you know, my shirt just is way big on her. But well, she don't wear it out in the town. But I'll tell you a funny story. We got dogs. We breed these, uh, oh my gosh. I should have left my man card out there in the truck. We breed doodles. And you go on and laugh. But you know what people pay for them stupid mutts? I done bought three teenagers' reliable be- vehicles off litters of dogs. That's all I'm gonna say. And I'll tell you what I feed them. I kill wild animals, cut them up with a bandsaw, and feed them raw meat and bones. Like if I kill a deer, hooves, shin bones, ears, everything. Everything goes into bags, and I got a freezer just for dead animals, man. And so, um, but anyway, I, we got these. <laughs> we got these dogs. The, uh not, not the ones that we sell. We got these two dogs. They're called uh, Great Pyrenees. Y'all know the big old white dogs. Man, I love them dogs. And them dogs, them dogs are great. Them them uh, toodle boodles or whatever, the doodle dogs, they are a pain in the butt. Let me tell you why. Because they want you to pet them. They come up, they're going to, They and, and that's what they're good for is like companionship. I want a dog to bark when somebody comes in the yard. I don't want to pet him. And you might be a dog petter. That's fine. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But I want to, and I'll pet the dog once he earns petability. You know what I'm saying? So like when I get home tonight, I'm going to walk up the step. And my old old boy Ace is going to be, Ace hangs his, got a tall porch. And he hangs his paws off the front porch. They're nocturnal. They sleep all day. And he'll lay right there on the front of the porch. And he'll look down the road. But every once in a while, he'll say, oh, like that. I'm like, I don't lock my doors i don't i leave the keys hanging in the ignition They ain't a crack addict gonna walk up my my driveway with ace on watch you know and i mean about that big and then roxy that's the girl one. she lays at the end of the driveway so we got it covered well before we got into the doodle bit we was gonna we decided we got a boy and a girl we was gonna make some pyrenees babies you know and uh and so we we're gonna sell them and but the girl dog wouldn't get pregnant she I don't know she 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 went through a couple cycles didn't get a prey. so then the boy dog started roaming right he starts roaming so i never had had a dog uh neutered i got I, we've castrated uh horses and 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 banded and cut steers you know bull calves and stuff like that i've never done it to a dog so i was like can you do this yourself because we do it with the big animals <laughs> I've cut the nuts out of pigs and, and bull calves and, and, and stud colts, you know, like, so, and then I get to reading on it, and I better take that to the vet, right? So, take, hey, so Ace is going to the vet, right? So, we're going to take Ace to the vet. I love having grown men here. I tell stories I can't tell at youth camp, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that I can't tell when I preach at your church on Sunday morning, you know? And so, I tell these stories at my church. <laughs> so, um, mountain people, they're different, all right? So, uh, so, so. Uh, Oh, Ace was gonna get, you know, he can get the, like that, you know, and so he's going the next day. Well, the uh, girl dog coming heat, or he's going the next week, and the girl dog coming heat. And my wife got her out. We put her. She went heat. We put her in a horse trailer, so there would not no dogs breeder, you know. Well, oh, Ace, he going crazy. Y'all seen this? I mean, he's and there's he's moaning. He's laying outside the horse trailer. <laughs> he's like whimpering. I <laughs> want That's a. That's a. That's a lesson right there. That's a, uh, like, you know. <laughs> And uh, so, so, uh, so my wife, so little goes down there to get the dog and she's going to take her for a little walk. And so she's walking around down there in front yard and in, in the front, like down by the road, our, our house sits maybe hundred, 150 yards off the road. She's down there at the road walking the dog and it's a country road and she's wearing, it's one of them days, baggy sweats, like, you know, Crocs and one of my t-shirts. And she likes to smoke these little cigars when she's out there piddling in the garden. So she's got one of the little little honeyberry backwoods cigars lit up and a bottle of Mountain Dew. Now if you work in law enforcement, you know what I just described, all right? <laughs> and so <laughs> And so she's got the dog down there, and she said, She said, Hey, 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 get ace up there. He's trying to breed Roxy. And I said, She can't get pregnant. He's getting his testicles removed. Next week, just let him do it. And she said, are you serious? I was like, yeah. So they, they do the thing, and then here we are. We're butt to butt, and the school bus pulls up. <laughs> and to this day, to this day, Charlene Rickett, Charlene Rickett school bus driver. Man, she talks so much trash to my wife. She's like, do you know what you looked like standing there with that dog on that leash, that other dog hooked up? with that Mountain Dew in your hand, wearing your husband's t-shirt and sweatpants, you know. When it it comes to understanding the the, the void that exists in you as a human, there is nothing in this world that can fill that void up. It's just going to be loose, baggy, unhappiness, unfulfilled, unfulfilled, unmet expectations, and you're just going to be a sloppy, un, unfulfilled human. But when you meet Jesus, he fills everything up. You know what I'm saying? Like like the scripture teaches this idea that literally he fills us to overflow and so that everything begins to fit. Everything then has a place. And I think that's important to understand because what tends to happen is we tend to try to look for the things that only Christ can provide in this, but we look for them in this world in the wrong places. And so I was a young man, and that's where I was at. Nothing was filling it up, and y'all been there. Nothing was filling it up. And I remember such a funny story, man. I, I, was, I was just, I went out in the mountains, and I was by myself out in the mountains, and I read, I had a King James Bible about that big that my mama had given me. I didn't, took it in a Ziploc, but I hadn't read that thing, I guess, ever. I took it with me, and I read the verse that says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of of sin. And I, and so I wrote out a contract to God. Now, before I go to the rest of this story, this is wrong, what I did, okay? Um, but I got the fire, and a lot of y'all have heard this story before. I got the fire going, wrote out this contract to God. I, I surrendered my life to God, and I cut myself and bled all over that thing, needed stitches, <laughs> and then I burned it and said this, is," and I, this is your fragrant offering and sacrifice, all right now I went to church on Sunday and went forward because they had old school invitation, and the pastor said, "You did what You have missed the point. it ain't your blood, dummy that's the that's the problem that's the problem and throughout history, what we kept Finding out, and we, when we go back and read the Old Testament, is the priests were tasked with taking the blood of an animal and then symbolically covering the sin of the people. There's all kinds of sacrificial, like like um, processes and rituals. They'd sprinkle the blood on the people like this, and they would put blood on the on the mercy seat of the altar. It was very ornamental in the tabernacle. But Jesus will later reveal to us that the blood of bulls and goats and animals it wasn't sufficient. But because God is gracious, he allowed it to be an acceptable sacrifice when it was done according to his plan and purpose. This is why when you go, how do people get saved in the Old Testament? They got saved by the grace of God. God, God accepted the offering. So the Old Testament priests, they had a lot of responsibilities, but, but, but a, a, a main one was this idea of sacrifice, like, like providing sacrifices. Now, They were also guardians of the tabernacle and guardians of cities of refuge. Guardians of the tabernacle and guardians of cities of refuge. Cities of refuge, that was something that God had put in place in the Old Testament. Um, The tabernacle was a place of of holy worship. It's not the same thing as the church today. Not the same thing. Like like the the physical church today, the, the church building does not have the same it's not the same thing as the Old Testament tabernacle. Y'all know that, right? You got people that'll say, don't wear your hat in church. What, where's that come from? That's a, that's, a, that's a social or cultural thing. That's not a biblical thing. Okay, so And, th- and they're, they'll, they're, they might go to a verse in 1 Corinthians. And I'm not trying to start a fight. I'm saying we have attached some, and some cultural things we need to honor. I'm not saying wear your hat to church Sunday. all right? But I'm saying there's some things that we just need to be mindful of that's cultural this is biblical sometimes cultural is just fine i, I was raised to take my hat off my granddad beat me if i had a hat on when i walked into any building much less the church but I, i'm like my church I can wear a hat it ain't no big deal um but there are certain things in the tabernacle that are expected in the old testament and the priests were sort of like stewards over that now come on down through history and some of us might be familiar with like uh, priest in the catholic church my familiarity with priest in the catholic church growing up in the bible belt was from uh like gangster movies and stuff you know like mob movies that's all i knew i didn't know and until i i remember i was at an airport i was in an airport in san francisco one time and we was getting to fly home and this guy comes up to me and he was a little bit he's a little bit crazy and we're talking i'm trying to share the gospel with this cat and he says oh wait and i told him i was a pastor he said oh, took a step back, his eyes got real big, and he went, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. I was like, all right, boss. <laughs> I ain't your daddy. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you, like, go ahead and get on up, because this is weird, but he's grown up in a Catholic context, and so so, so there's that. We're not gonna get into that. We don't have time to get into that, other than to say this, where, where Catholic doctrine, I'm not picking on the Catholic church, I'm not picking on your family, or if, if you come from that background, or you might be in that now, The problem is the priesthood of the believer is ignored by orthodox and contemporary Catholic doctrine. What we're talking about tonight is you don't need a human priest to talk to God. We have an advocate, a mediator, an intercessor who has made a way for us to go to the throne of God. His name's Jesus. So when we get to the New Testament, what Peter's saying is you're a nation of priests. We can talk to God directly. The Old Testament priests offered sacrifices, but for us Jesus was the final and ultimate sacrifice. So that what it what it, what could it mean when it says that we offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through to, uh, through Jesus? Look at um Verse five, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here's the problem. The scripture tells us that we're to be sacrificed. We're to be living sacrifices. Here it says that you're a holy priesthood, and, and it's a collective picture of the church. The church is we are a priesthood, which means we carry out a, what looks a lot like the, the, some of the mechanics of the Old Testament priest. We, we intercede on behalf of people. We talk directly to God. We offer sacrifices. What does it mean to offer sacrifices now? We don't kill animals. What does it mean to offer sacrifices? Well, I think this is important. When you look at the Old Testament sacrificial system, the sacrifice had to be perfect, without spot, without blemish. Right? We go back one chapter in 1 Peter 1, and he says that Jesus was a lamb without spot and without blemish. So how do I offer a sacrifice? Well, he says it there in verse 4. My sacrifices are acceptable to God through Jesus. So it goes through Jesus. Jesus is the one. This is, this is very important to understand that the sacrifice goes through Jesus. And Romans 12 helps us understand what this looks like to be living lives of sacrifice. I think it's important to, to go there for some context. Romans 12, 1, a very familiar verse two verses scripture i appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of god to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of god what is good and acceptable and perfect so he says that we are sacrifices and we are holy and acceptable to god doug wilson defines uh Biblical masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. The glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. So you see this idea of sacrifice in the New Testament for the New New Testament believer, but it looks different than the Old Testament sacrifice in the way the New Testament speaks of it. We live in a society that's obsessed with safety, and yet we're called to live sacrificial lives. You ever notice how obsessed we are with safety? There's a label on everything. Label on everything. It's just interesting. My nine-year-old had a had a little wreck the other day on the ATV. He come up to the house. There's somebody, I won't say who was there at the house, he said, he said, that thing's busted. Fairing's busted. Hank's boy had to bring it up the house. Moe was so, he's so freaked out that thing's upside down down there. He busted the, fairing and the casing around the headlight and everything, and he come up the hill. He shook up. And he said, "Daddy, I just wrecked that four wheeler." And he was freaked out. And I don't know if he's freaked out. I think he's freaked out over the wreck, or if he's freaked out that I was going to be mad. And I just said, "Man, you know what? I'm so glad you ain't hurt." And when you re- when you do stupid things, sometimes more stupid things happen. How fast were you going? Uh, he said it had a two and a zero. But well, that's 20, and that's too fast when you're making a donut. <laughs> you know, it ain't need that big. You know. <laughs> I said, do you have your helmet on? He said, I have my helmet on. <laughs> but, I, but I, like, like uh, I think we're obsessed with safety, and it may be, and I don't want to get overly philosophical here, but our obsession with safety may disrupt our understanding of sacrifice, as a, as, even as a society. Sociologists will tell us there's a guy named Jonathan Haight. He wrote a book uh, about five years ago called The Coddling of the American Mind. And in it, he talks about the fact that Gen Z or iGen, the Internet generation, which is the generation born around 1995 to 96 which is the current generation that we're ministering to in student ministry and that we're training in our institute, which, by the way, our institute is, I believe, one of the most amazing programs, and the men and women that are, that are showing up, going through that, spending a year here and hitting the world are in- incredibly gifted and they're, they're, they're generation changers. But as a generation, we're dealing with a generation that has never known life apart from the Internet. I mean, think about this. The first time I looked at a website, I was almost 30 years old, right? Some of you were 40 or 50. And they've never known life apart from it. And what's happened is... What's happened is, with the internet, a decade later came social media, and within a few years after that came this button called like, this button called share, this button called retweet, this, and all of a sudden, pressure started to build in a way that young people have access to the entire world, but we started to lock them up and not let them go across the street or walk to the corner store, or ride their bike down a paved road, somebody might kidnap them. And then But then we're dropping cell phones into the hands of sixth graders in the school system, and we're, and we're saying, you'll be okay. We put software on it. We we'll put software on it. Do you know your eighth grader's smarter than you when it comes to how to work that thing? We put, we put, I don't want to be, I don't want to push him away. When that kid was that old, you shoved them peas all blended up in their mouth, and when they would spit it out, you just shove it on in there. Nope, going to eat that. It worked In You thought that was good. That, of course they are going to push it away. Didn't most of you push it away? Most of us, our testimony is that there was a season. But there are biblical principles that say that when you train up a child in the way he should go, when he's only he won't depart from it. And we're obsessed with safety. We need to be obsessed with sacrifice. We need to live sacrificial life. So what does it look like to live sacrificially? Well, in the Old Testament, there were five different types of sacrifice. Le- Leviticus explains this. The offering that we're most familiar with is the sin offering, which was a blood sacrifice. Because blood symbolically would cover sin. And that's because the wages of sin is death, but blood brings life, and so that which brings life covers that which brings death. One of the offerings was an offering of remembrance. That's where we think about and remember the goodness of the Lord. One of the offerings was called a burnt offering. That's where an animal without blemish was brought as an offering, and it was consumed before the Lord. This was a way of saying, Lord, I give you all the best of me. I dedicate all that I am and all that I have to you. But for us, there's this powerful symbolic picture that christ was the final sacrifice and so we are now living as sacrifices not simply dying as sacrifices he says you're a living sacrifice he says this is your spiritual worship the word here in romans 12 1 and 2 the word spiritual worship is is literally the word logical it's like he's saying the only thing that makes sense is is to commit everything to Jesus. It doesn't make any sense at all to halfway or partly commit myself to the Lord. I want to live a life of devotion and commitment to Jesus and worship. He says, because of, because of. What does he mean by that? The motivation to live a life of faithfulness to the Lord and worship is not to earn God's love, but because of God's love. He says, don't be conformed. Brothers, right now, our, our kids are being told what to believe about relationships, gender, sex, sexuality, marriage, everything else that has to do with God's sacred design for human relationship, sexuality, and affection. The amount of influence that media, social media, music, and film has on you will impact the way you see things. And I can tell you right now that the world has always promoted a narrative and a teaching that is contrary to Scripture, but the world has never had nearly so many resources as it has right now. Satan is using so many tools and weapons against the way that you interpret biblical truth. He wants you to reject God's plans and designs and conform to his pattern of thinking, while still holding to a profession of faith in Jesus. It's a lot more destructive if someone's like, "I'm a Christian, I'm Jesus plus this other thing," or you know, we start to reshape historic teaching of Christianity. But he says, "Be transformed by the renewal of your mind." Imagine that every day your mind is being completely renewed with fresh vision and purpose and understanding about who you are in Christ. Every day God wants to fill your heart and mind with joy and peace and excitement and zeal and knowledge and understanding. Every day it's new. Like that first cup of coffee, man. If you're a coffee drinker, that first cup of coffee tastes better than, I drink coffee, I had a cup of coffee right before the worship service. Most of you grabbed one after supper. But the first one of the day tastes the best to me. It's just something about like, roll out, still dark outside, everybody's sleeping. I drink that first cup real loud. There's just something about that. You know, sit by the fire in the wintertime, sitting there with a fire raging in the, in the stove. Sit there, drink that coffee. And I got this, I've got this, uh, my, my little routine for the first cup of coffee. The first cup of coffee is prayer time for my six kids and my son-in-law. That's when, that's when I'm going to sit there, I'm going to drink. phone don't come on. That sucker stays off. I'm going to drink and pray and converse and be reminded this cup of coffee is starting my day, and God's mercies are new to me today. New today, every day. Isn't that good? Every single day his mercies are new to us, and that's how we're transformed. Our mind is renewed daily. That's why we talk about studying the Scripture. That's why... That's why we talk about the word of God in the life of a believer being a daily thing because that's where we're transformed. He says that when we test, God will always prove himself true and faithful. He says that by testing. See, he'll never let you down. He'll never lie. He'll never leave you empty. Test the Lord. Test his faithfulness. How do you test God? You live in obedience and worship and see if God is faithful to you. Personally, and experientially. See if you're happy and fulfilled in Jesus and his love. I promise you he'll pass the test. He satisfies our deepest longings. He fills the void in our lives. Discern. So that you might discern what is good. This is the idea of thinking clearly and making good choices that don't have consequences, that are lasting and painful. That's what it looks like. To be a living sacrifice, that pattern of Romans 12, 1 and 2. So back to our text. And we'll close in, the, in those, those verses 9 through 12 where he comes back to the idea of being a priest. Because other than sacrificial living, what does it look like for us to live as priests in the world today? Juan Sanchez, he's a pastor and a commentator, he says that in these verses, verses nine through twelve, we are shown that our purpose is to praise God with our verbal witness and our strong conduct. Look there in verse nine, verbal witness. He says, after he, if, after he describes who we are, what we are, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. What does it mean to proclaim? Praising God and proclaiming Jesus. Praising God and proclaiming Jesus. I got a brother here named Sean. Some of y'all heard me interview Sean on the, on the podcast. No sanity required, a podcast that I do. and Sean spent a better part of his early adult life shooting stuff up, snorting stuff up, robbing, raping, pillaging, killing And he might not have killed another human, but he ruined lives. And one day, the gospel got a hold of him. And when the gospel gets a hold of somebody, that person is put to death. Right? And a new man is raised to walk in newness of life. (laughs) Like, I'm not, that ain't, that's not me. Sometimes sometimes when you live in this thing out as a priest and you're proclaiming his excellencies, part of his excellencies are going to be when Satan's reminding you of who you are and what you did, you need to hit that sucker head on and go, that's right, that's exactly who I was. That's exactly what I did. But God, Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy, God's bigger than that mess. And a lot of us are allowing Things to define us that should have no sway over our lives. Because God set us free from it. So what, do we pray, what are we proclaiming about Jesus? His, man, we're proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Called you out of darkness, man. Let me tell you something. If you're, if you're the opposite end of the testimony extreme by man's standards of Sean, you might be that dude that, man, God saved you when you were five years old at VBS and you've never really walked... Strayed far from the path. Let me tell you something. The power of the gospel to, to save a person from sin is never m- more powerful in one person's life than the other. Because the scripture says you were dead in trespasses and sin. He, he brought you out of darkness. So the way that we practice the priesthood is to proclaim with a verbal witness, but then also, verses 11 and 12, our conduct before the world. And these two things play the priestly role between God and the world. We're to live consistent lives, consistent lives. Live consistently as men of God. Three hurdles in conclusion that we need to be aware of that are prevalent in our society. I think we need to address these things. These would be awesome as standalone, maybe messages or breakout sessions, but let me just... Identify. I'm sorry. Two things that I want to identify tonight. Not only prevalent, but even celebrated. The first one is entitlement attitude. We live in a world that that is entitled. People are entitled. You notice this? We got to fight that, man. We don't deserve anything. God's given us His grace. He saved us. We never pay Him back. We never earn what He's done. And number two, the victim mentality. You ever notice how people are celebrated as victims now? We celebrate. If you can like tell young people this a lot, man, because a lot of kids come through, they're beat up, they've been abused, they've been through difficult things. We want to explain to them you're not a victim. Christ has brought you out of that. Now we might need to work through some of those things. Some of you, maybe in your own story, have to work through some of those things from childhood abuse. But we don't have a victim mentality. Zach and I are both reading that book again, The Coddling of the American Mind. Um, And I want to read a a quote from this. This This is not spiritual per se, but it's rooted in, I think, biblical truth. From time to time in the years to come, I hope you will be treated unfairly so that you will know and come to know the value of justice. I hope that you will suffer betrayal because that will teach you the importance of loyalty. Sorry to say, but I hope you'll be lonely from time to time so that you don't take friends for granted. I wish you bad luck, again, from time to time so that you'll be conscious of the role of chance in life and understand that your success is not completely deserved that the failure of others is not completely deserved either. And when you lose, as you will from time to time, I hope every now and then your opponent will gloat over your failure. It is a way for you to understand the importance of sportsmanship. I hope you'll be ignored so that you know the importance of listening to others. And I hope you'll have just enough pain to learn compassion. Whether I wish these things or not, they're going to happen. And whether you benefit from them or not will depend on your ability to see the message and your misfortunes. And I, don't you, I don't want you to be safe ideologically. I don't want you to be safe emotionally. I want you to be strong. That's different. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to pave the jungle for you put on some boots, and learn how to deal with adversity. I'm not going to take all the weights out of the gym. That's the whole point of the gym. Life is the gym. So as Christians and as men who've been called to this priesthood, we need to understand that the task is overwhelming. But the God who saved Sean Castile, the God who saved me and you, and made you somebody different, somebody new, gave you a new name he made you a citizen in his kingdom he called you on mission by his glory and grace out of darkness that's the king we proclaim and jesus is our great high priest and because of that we can boldly approach the throne of god so that as the writer of hebrews would say we might find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need amen let's pray lord we thank you for the power of your word, the power of your gospel, the power of the priesthood, whereby we might live as living sacrifices, that we would be holy and acceptable, pleasing to you. God, a, a, if, if a sacrifice is to be without spot and without blemish, is to be perfect, then how in the world do we pull that off? How do we achieve that Well, we do it through Jesus? God, I pray that our brothers would not embrace a victim mentality, would not embrace an attitude of entitlement that's rooted in arrogance and autonomy and idolatry, but that to the man we would all, and all of us confess our need to depend on you for that, that we would rely on you as our great high priest, as our mediator. But we would, we would be the mediators of our families. We would be the intercessors for our communities and our friends and our churches. And God, that we'd make a difference in the lives of others because we would embrace the God-ordained responsibility that we've been called to, and we would live as those who are living sacrifices, holy and acceptable and pleasing to you, embracing with joy the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.